Welcome, everybody. Good to see you. My name is Tim Harris. I'm pastor here at Woodburn Baptist Church. I'm so glad that you're here. It's a beautiful Sunday. We are due one. We've had the grayest, coldest, wettest spring so far, but this week we turned the corner to summer. I think Tuesday it's supposed to be 87. Uh, so welcome to Kentucky. We go from 57 to 87, and, and that's just how we roll. So good to welcome all of you. Open your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 2, 2 Timothy 2, and uh, let's take a look at the Word of God this morning. It is graduation season. Some of you have already graduated. Some of you are going to walk the line here in the next couple of weeks. So in honor of graduation season, I want to call your attention to a very important part of our culture. This is the graduation cap. The graduation cap. This is your father's graduation picture, and this is approximately the way he wore the cap back in his day. This graduation cap has been around since the Middle Ages, the appropriate headgear for a scholar. Uh, Now, I won't do the whole history of the graduation cap for you. Just let me shrink it down to this. Used to, we could throw them, but now they can't. Do you remember? I mean, for for literally decades, that was the thing. At the end of your graduation, after they pronounced you graduates, you would take your cap and you would throw it in the air, yeah, just as high as you could. And then somewhere along the way, somebody realized that flinging, you know, pointed objects in a crowded stadium, you know, stuffed with children and grandparents was probably not a good idea. So now in most places, you can't throw the cap anymore. Do y'all know this? You can't throw them. You simply can't throw them. So now that you can't throw them, you know, students being ever intelligent and ever creative have found a a new way to make their hat special. Okay, so let me walk you through this. Let me start with this guy here. See, now you don't throw them. Go ahead, Austin, hit hit the slide for me. You can't throw them anymore. So now (laughs) what you do is is since you're not going to throw it, you're going to keep it forever. So if you can, just turn it into a parade float. You understand? So now when you go to graduation, very, very typically, next slide, very typically you'll have a, a graduation cap that is, that is decorated. This is Sydney Willingham's for this year, actually. Um, this young woman has a cow pasture on top of her graduation cap. Not all of them are that crazy. Here's the easy one. Thanks, mom and dad. That, that's sweet. People like to thank the ones who've been important to them. Next slide. Thanks, pizza. A graduation cap. Thanks, pizza. You've stuck with me through thick and thin crust. So so there you go. Here we go. This was the the, the caps that Warren and I wore at our graduation. Life is never quite as scary when you got a best friend, Warren. We we need those caps. This is a good one. I still have no idea what I'm doing. Yeah, I I love that. I like this one. I love this. I don't even go here. That that is so good. That's such a good cap. Think about this a minute. Pause. I should have went to Hogwarts. No, you should have gone to English class. Actually, you should have gone to English class. Hogwarts is the school in Harry Potter, for those of you who aren't with that. Here we go. To infinity and beyond. Yeah, Buzz Lightyear. Man, if these people put that kind of creativity into their schoolwork, they'd all be valedictorians. But, but, but it's the cap these days now that we decorate. Next one. Yeah. Okay, slowly, na, 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 bat grad. Get it? But I said it wrong. How would you say that? 
Na 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 background. Get it? Na 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 background. Yeah. Here's a good one. God is within her. She will not fail. Class of 15. That's a good cap. Notice the giant bow at the bottom of that cap. But that, that, that's a good one. And one more here. This is Cameron Esters. By the way, Mom, I have a tattoo. <laughs> yeah. By the way, Mom, I have a tattoo. Yeah. Yeah. Go, Cameron. Yeah. I was just. I was just. I was just kidding, and I, I get in crying all over, all over again. Yeah. Whether you graduated years and years and years ago, or whether uh, your graduation is coming up, uh, let's let the Apostle Paul provide your commencement address today. So here you go, a commencement address for all of us from 2 Timothy chapter 2, beginning, beginning with verse 1. 2 Timothy chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. This is good stuff. Listen, this is a word for all of our lives as we move forward. As for you, Timothy, my dear son, be strong through the grace that God gives you in Christ Jesus. You have heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now, you teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. Endure suffering along with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Soldiers don't get tied up in the affairs of civilian life, for they cannot please the officer who enlisted them. And athletes cannot win the prize unless they follow the rules. And hardworking farmers should be the first to enjoy the fruit of their labor. Think about what I'm saying. The Lord will help you understand all these things. Always remember that Jesus Christ, the descendant of King David, was raised from the dead. This is the good news I preach, and because I preach this good news, I am suffering and have been chained like a criminal, but the word of God cannot be chained. I love that. So I am willing to endure anything if it will bring salvation and eternal glory in Christ Jesus to those God has chosen. This is a trustworthy saying. If we die with him, we will also live with him. If we endure hardship, we will reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are unfaithful, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny who he is. Remind everyone about these things and command them in God's presence to stop fighting over words. Such arguments are useless, and they can ruin those who hear them. Verse 15, work hard so you can present yourself to God and receive his approval. Be a good worker one who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly explains the word of truth. Avoid worthless, foolish talk that only leads to more godless behavior. Stop there. Verse 15, dig in with me there. Work hard so that you can present yourself to God and receive his approval. Be a good worker, one who does not need to be ashamed, who correctly handles the word of truth. I think at my commencement from high school back in 19... 83, I think the commencement speaker said something like, welcome to the real world, which is just kind of frustrating when old people say stuff like that to, to, to young people. Welcome to the real world, because it suggests, of course, that there is an unreal world where, where most of us live or some of us try to live, and you live in the world that is not real until at some point you collide with the world that is real. And I don't know about that. Welcome to the real world, they say to kids sometimes coming out of high school. I guess we want to point out that 
high school is not the real world, even college is not the real world, that, that there's something unreal about, uh, about school. There's actually something unreal about living in your parents' house because that doesn't go on forever and ever, or at least it's not supposed to get, go on you know, for, forever and ever and ever. Welcome to the real world, we say. What exactly do we mean? How would you define real world? Say it again. The, the world where you pay bills, that's a pretty good one. This is the world where, where you pay bills. Yeah, that's depressing right off, you know. <laughs> Congratulations. What else? Well, what's the real world? How would you define it? You pay the bills. Yeah, you, you got to take responsibility. Yeah. I, I would say it like this. The real world is where 7.4 billion people live and not just one. Understand? There's 7.4 billion people in this world and not just one. And, and for the most part, when we are young, we often sort of live as if we are the only one. Now, it starts at birth. When you're born, you're learning how the world works. And when you were very, very small, you learned quickly that if you just made noise, people brought you things. True? When you're a baby, if you just make noise, people will bring you things. They will bring you food. They will bring you drink. They will bring you a clean diaper. They will bring you a, a pacifier or whatever you called that thing. Uh, they will bring you things if you make noise. The sad thing is there are people who go off into life still thinking that people bring them things when they make noise. But that's not exactly the kind of life that, that we should aspire to, the life where we just make noise and people bring us things. You understand, the world has 7.4 billion people, all of whom have dreams, all of whom have needs, all of whom have desires and opinions, and you and I are just among those. We're just one, understand? It's very difficult sometimes to recognize that we're not the only one because when, when you start to be, understand that there's 7.4 billion people in the world and you're just one, very quickly you start to figure out that you don't matter much. That, that, that you don't matter. You're not the main one. There's 7.4 billion and you're not the main one. You're not the one everybody's watching. And you walk in a room, you think everybody's looking at you, but they're not. I mean, honestly, they're not thinking about you. What, are you here? I mean, understand? Nobody's thinking about you like that. And it's important to recognize that. It's important to put life in perspective. You're not the one around which the whole universe revolves. You're not entitled to anything. You understand? You are one among 7.4 billion. You understand? You are truly not the only person alive. Which makes it amazing that your life matters and especially to God. As I say, your life may not matter much to the 7.4 other billion people in the world, but this is the amazing part. Your life matters and it especially matters to God. For God, it's not that you're the only one or the main one, but you are a precious one to him. Do you understand that? And your life matters to him. He made you. He knows exactly what he's put in you. And he has a plan for your life. Your life matters to God, especially to God. So the question arises now, what will you do with your life? What are you going to do? Your life matters to God. And because it matters to God, it matters to the world that he loves. So what will you do with it? And also, how will you measure success? Moving from this stage of your life into the next stage of life, how are you going to know if you're living it right? How are you going to know 
if you're succeeding, how will you know? I draw your attention, all of you today, to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. I think in this one verse, we can find three questions that you can ask yourself now and at every single period of your life, in every stage, on every day. If you ask yourself these three questions, you will get a pretty good sense of what you need to do with your life and how you're going to measure success. So, are you with me? Let's start in chapter 2, verse 15, right there. First two words are, say it, work hard. Yeah, y'all said that with so much joy. Uh, Work hard. This is God's word, so this is a commandment, not a suggestion. You, You work hard. In your life, God expects you to work hard. Now, in the real world, where there's 7.4 billion people, you will very quickly realize that about 7.3 billion of them ain't working hard. I mean, they're just not. If you go out in the middle of the day, there's just people everywhere, and you think, doesn't anybody work? You know, you go to the mall in the middle of the day on a weekday, and then there are people just walking around. I mean, it's like nobody works at all, and honestly, they don't. And even people who are at work, half of them are on Facebook. People don't seem to work anymore. Maybe our parents and grandparents sort of had a culture. The world in which they lived, you had to work. If you didn't work, I mean, honestly, if your grandma didn't make soap, Nobody had soap. You understand that? If if your great-grandma didn't make clothes, nobody wore clothes. I mean, it was just a very, very different world where everybody had to work hard. But we now live in in a culture, in a day and age, when when leisure, having free time is, you know, people just want a little bit of me time. You know, your grandmother never in her life said, you know, I just want some me time. Can you imagine her taking out her teeth and saying, I just want some me time, you know? I mean, can you see your grandma in a bikini laying in a tanning bed? You know, does she have time for that? Now you're awake. You got that image burned in your your grandma in a tanning bed. Yeah, sorry about that. Work hard, the scripture says. Work hard. Expect to work hard and know that if nobody else works hard, you're supposed to. You're supposed to work hard. The the language that that Paul uses here actually is, is a verb that has to do with speed. In other words, it's exertion, but it's also speed. The idea is you're going to work like you're killing snakes. You ever seen anybody kill snakes? Do they do that slowly and kind of leisurely? No, no, man. I mean, I've seen my sister kill a snake before. I mean, she's like, ha, 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 It's been dead for a week. and You know, and this is exactly what verse 15 is talking about. You work. You work like you're killing snakes. You put something into it. Do you understand? This is the Word of God, and this is what your life is supposed to be like. You work, and you work hard. Work hard to present yourself to God. Interesting. Work hard to present yourself Understand, you're going to present yourself. It goes back to what somebody said a moment ago. In the real world, you take responsibility for yourself. You are responsible for the person that you become. Now, some people spend the rest of their lives trying to blame other people for why they are losers. But but the bottom line is, you need to take responsibility for the person that you become. It's not going to be your daddy's fault. It's not going to be your mama's fault. It's not going to be anybody's fault if you don't get to where you're supposed to get in this life. Understand? You work hard to present yourself, next two words, to God. Work hard 
to present yourself to God to receive his approval. First question to ask yourself at this stage of life and in every stage of life, is, is God well pleased? Is, is God pleased with me? Does my life please him? There's 7.4 billion people in the world, and if you think that you're going to live to please them, you're going to live a very frustrating life. People are crazy, y'all. People are crazy, and people are fickle. And what they will approve of today, they won't approve of tomorrow. Have you not noticed that? I mean, it just changes. It's always changing. You remember back when, like, wide leg jeans were really, really in fashion, but they only sold them at the buckle for like $200 a pair, and your mama said, no way you're going to get those jeans. Remember that? And so you're walking around in dumb jeans, you know, dumb, you know, jeans out of style, and finally, finally, somehow, you know, they sell a car, they sell cows, they get enough money so that you can have a pair of wide leg jeans from buckle. Do you remember that? So you bought a pair of wide leg jeans, maybe you got them at Christmas, and the minute you walked in school in them, what happened? Everybody's got skinny jeans on, you know. So now you're the only dork. Well, you know, dang a dang, walking around in, in your big leg jeans. And that's just how life is. If you live your life to please people, you'll never please anybody and, and you'll never ever be satisfied with your own life. You, you can't please people for the most part that they don't even know what they want. They don't even know what they like. And, and if you think you're going to satisfy them, you'll never be satisfied and you'll never satisfy them. You live your life to please God and God alone. He makes very, very clear what pleases him. And understand, he loves you. He knows you. He's laid out your life before you live to please him. Make it your desire. Make it your aim to satisfy God. Do you understand? You can be a brilliant success with people and still be a total failure with God. And God is the only one whose opinion counts. In the end, it is God before whom you will stand. You can be a brilliant success in the world's eyes. You may become a reality TV star. You may end up on the radio, on television. You may have your very own, you know, YouTube viral hit. I, I, I don't know, but I'm just saying all of these things that the world considers brilliant success. You may find out one day that your life is a total failure. You might make a ton of money and be a total failure. You might have a wife and kids and a car and a house and be a total failure. Do you understand? You can be a brilliant success in the eyes of the world and a total failure in the eyes of God. Choose to please God. Make it your aim to please God. Work hard, the scripture says, so that you can present yourself Understand? It's you that you're going to present. You can't present somebody else. You understand? You have to present yourself, and you present yourself to God. Live to please Him. I know that, especially for high school graduates right now, the decisions that you're making are kind of overwhelming. Biggest decisions that you've probably ever made in your life. Up to this point, it's been like, you know, salad line or hamburger line, you know, at, at, at school. But now it's like, which college? And, and am I going to, you know, am I going to go Greek or live in the dorm? Am I going to try to get an apartment off campus? What am I going to major? And what, you know, people say, what are you going to do? And you're thinking, oh, I don't have any, any idea. And then you just say something crazy. I want, I want to be a flight attendant. You know, you just say something because you, got, you feel like you've got to have something to say. It's just overwhelming, the, the, the gravity suddenly that comes as you step out into what they call the real world. It's, and then I, I don't know necessarily if I'm encouraging when I tell you to live to please God, because sometimes you, you're not sure. You know, what is God's will? What does God want you to do? And 
I, I, I just, I, I won't let some of the air out of the balloon for you. you, you it, these are important decisions, but your life's in God's hands. Just make it your aim to please him. And I promise you that if you have that desire to please him, you will in the end please him. So get your heart right with God and live to please God and then trust him with everything else. And I promise you, the desire to please God in itself is very, very pleasing to God. So live, live, live to please him. Next question, is the work well done? Work hard so you can present yourself to God and receive his approval. Be a good worker, one who does not need to be ashamed. Is the work well done? This is a good question to ask on the front end of your, your life. It's also a good question to stop and ask in the middle of your life. Is, 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 is the work well done? We're workers for God. We're not just church attenders. We're, we're workers for God. He has work for us. And all through our lives we have to ask, is, is that work well done? The, the, the part of the kingdom's work that God has assigned to me, is, is, is that work well done? The, the, the work of my life, the, the purpose of all of my days, is, am I doing well? The test that Paul gives us is that idea that, that if you stand before God, would you feel like you would be ashamed? If you had to stop today and answer for the way that you've lived your life, for the choices you've made, for the work that you have done, would, would you be ashamed would you feel like you could face him proudly or would you feel like you would hang your head? What do you think? I think as far as my life goes, I would have to say that for me to be ashamed before God, it would probably be because I aim too low. I think a lot of us just simply aim too low in our lives. And when we stand before God, suddenly I, I think that becomes clear. Let, let, let me offer you this statement, and I want you to think about this for, for just a moment. Austin, help me out here. Um, I don't think that the most fearful thing in the world is to imagine standing before God and, and having to answer for the things you did. Here's what I think. The worst thing would not be to stand before God and face what you have done in this life. The worst thing would be to stand before God and face what you could have done in this life. You understand the difference there? In my mind, that's the most terrifying part of the judgment of God. I mean, what I've done is bad enough, but the point is what I've done is what I've done instead of the things I could have done. And, and again, God and God alone knows what my life is about, and he knows what's possible for me, and he knows how high that I could climb. He knows how far that I could go. He knows how effective I, I, I could be with the gifts that he's given me. And so the horror of standing before him for me is, is, is not the thought somehow that I'm going to have to face the list of all the things I've done. That's not going to be pleasant. But even worse is, is somehow if God is able to show me the life I, that I could have lived, the life that he intended for me to live, the, the life that I just flushed down the toilet while, you know, I sit home and watch the prices right. You, you understand? We, we aim too low. And inevitably in our lives, we all aim too low. We have very little concept of what is possible when we link ourselves with a God for whom all things are possible. You understand? We have very little confidence in what we can accomplish, even though Jesus says, I have come to give you a life running over with blessings. Do you understand? Ab abundant life. 
The horror one day is not going to be to have to give an account for what you did. The horror is to stand before God and have to acknowledge what could have happened, what you could have done. My hunch is most all of us, we aim way too low, way, way too low. Either that or we stand before God one day and we realize that, that the life we chose, it, it cost too little. We did everything on the cheap. You, you understand what I mean? I mean, if you read all of these verses that we're reading together in 2 Timothy chapter 2, notice what Paul says in verse 3. He says, endure suffering. In other words, he's saying, take your place among those who suffer. Take your place among those who choose to do hard things. This is what he's saying. He says, remember Jesus, remember the gospel. And the gospel in itself teaches us that Jesus is our model, our example. And Jesus is the one who chose the hard route. He chose death for himself in order to bring life to others. He chose the difficult route. He chose suffering. He chose death in order that we might have life. And and he is our example. So what Paul says is you just take your place among those who suffer. You take your place among those who choose a more difficult path and you're you're probably going to need to choose a more difficult path. If you're going to have the life that Jesus has for you, it's going to be costly for you. I know that Jesus paid it all. Your salvation is free. But if you're going to have everything else that Jesus wants to give you in this life, you're probably going to have to die to yourself. It's what scripture says. It's going to cost you everything to follow him. The problem is we just want to follow Jesus partway or halfway, and we end up living this sort of half-baked Christian life. We don't get there because we're not willing to pay the price. So Paul says, take your place among those who suffer. Take your place among those who work hard. Take your place among those for whom uh, uh, everyday life is is costly and, and precious. Like a soldier, he says. Endure suffering, do hard things like a soldier. Soldiers don't get all tied up in civilian affairs because they know single-mindedly that their one duty is to obey the commanding officer. Learn obedience like a soldier, Paul says. You see that? Lots of things in life that could distract you and pull you off, but you're like a soldier following a commander. Learn to obey him. Or or like an athlete, learn to discipline yourself, learn to do hard things, learn to play by the rules. In in other words, you don't take shortcuts when you're an athlete. You understand? I mean, several times when I've played sports, and y'all know how that goes, when I've played sports, I've often thought, you know, if we could put both of these basketball goals on the same side of the floor and save all that running. (laughs) You ever thought that? You know, I got the ball. I could take it down there, or I could just shoot it right here where I'm standing all by myself. You you understand? I mean, there are shortcuts that you could take. But the thing is, when you take shortcuts as an athlete, you don't win. When you take shortcuts as an athlete, that's not something we admire. Nobody gets put on the front of the Wheaties box but by, by taking the easy way in sports. Paul says, like an athlete, you don't take shortcuts. You don't choose the easier path. You discipline yourself to win. Understand? And he just keeps piling them up like a soldier. Obey your commanding officer. Like an athlete, you don't try to cheat the rules. And like a farmer, you understand that life moves on seed time. Understand? Not like microwave oven time where, you know, you put the popcorn in and ding, you know, you have popcorn in 45 seconds. Understand? That's not how life works. It's like a farmer. It's seed time. 
You put the seed in the ground, and you wait, and you wait, and you wait, and the sun shines when the sun shines, and the rain falls. If the rain falls, you have no control of it. All you can do is wait and wait and wait. And Paul says that farmer needs to be the one that gets the first rewards when that crop comes in. You understand? The bottom line is you wait a long, long time. In the world in which we live, in the world in which Jesus operates, sometimes things take a long, long time. But all the best things in life are the things you wait for. Learn to wait for them. You understand? Because if in your life you're not willing to obey the commanding officer, the Lord, or if in your life you try to cut corners, you try to cheat, you just try to shoot the basket on whatever side of the floor you're standing on, you understand? Or if you're the kind of farmer that puts the seed in the ground and then digs it back up to to see if it's growing, you understand? You'll never, ever reap the rewards of life. Is the work well done? That means, have I been willing to pay the price? Have I been willing to learn obedience? Have I been willing to, 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 to choose the, the, the difficult course, to discipline myself, to wait a long time sometimes in order to receive the rewards of a life well lived? Is, is the work well done? And then one more, back to verse 15. Work hard so you can present yourself to God and receive his approval. Be a good worker. One who does not need to be ashamed, one who correctly handles the, the, the word of truth. That, that last part of the verse here is kind of difficult to translate. Uh, the, the King James is probably to be preferred. He says, rightly handling, rightly handling the, the, the word of truth. The uh, point is that in our lives, the third question to ask is, is, is the word well used? Is the word, the word of God, well, well used? I know used isn't the word you expect there. You think it would be well read. You know, because we read our Bibles. Bibles are for reading. But if you read the Bible, you quickly understand that no, it's about a whole lot more than just reading it. When the Bible talks about itself, it uses words like sword, right? It's like a sword. Now, a sword is meant to be wielded. A sword is meant to be used to be exercised. It's like a sword. Or sometimes the word is like a fire that burns, understand? Or sometimes the word is like bread that you eat. But in no instance is the word just some kind of dead book that sits on your nightstand. Understand? In no instance do you get special points for just learning lots and lots of Bible trivia. So you know that Caleb is the son of Jephunneh. No. If you've learned anything in church all of these years growing up, certainly you understand that, that our point was not just to make your Bible smart. It wasn't just to shape your minds by, by the word, but, but to shape your lives. Charles Spurgeon has this amazing quote. He says, the Bible that is falling apart usually belongs to the person who is not. Understand that? The Bible that is falling apart, in other words, this Bible that's just been read through pages or, or, or dog-eared, the Bible that is falling apart typically belongs to the person who is not. There is an effect on the life of the person who lives his life, her life deep in the Word. So Paul says, you work hard to present yourself before God as a workman who needs not be ashamed, rightly handling the, the word of truth. It's to be handled. It's to be used in your life. It, it, it doesn't work if you don't read it for sure, but reading it is useless if you don't intend to live by it. You, you live by the word. 
If you're heading into college, you're about to spend like a a quadrillion dollars on books. But but I'm still telling you that that this book will always be the main book for your life. That This is the book out of whose pages you must learn to live your life. This book must be well used in your life or else your life will be useless. It's a sword, you understand? It's instructions. That means if you don't read it, if you don't live by it, You are without direction and you are without defense. So there are 7.4 billion people in the world, they tell us. Chapter 2, verse 1, what Paul literally says is, Timothy, ask for you. Timothy, my dear son, ask for you. He's starting in the middle of what he was saying in chapter 1. And what he was saying in chapter 1 was, man, everybody's deserted me. Everybody's deserted me. People that I thought were on the side of the gospel, they're not on the side of the gospel. And people that I thought were my friends are not my friends. Everybody's deserted me. But Timothy, as for you, you be strong in the grace that is found in Jesus Christ. It's it's that as for you part. 7.4 billion people in the world understand welcome to the real world. But, But... for all of those people, understand the 7.4 billion people in the world, they, they are lost. They, they, are, they are crazy. They are fickle. They will do what they will do. But the question for you is, what will you do with your life? What will you do? 7.4 billion people, but as for you, be strong. Tell others. Choose the harder path. Remember Jesus. Work hard. Seek God's approval. And live the word. Live the word in the real world. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, some of us are at a very important moment of transition. Our, our lives are about to change in a big way. There's something thrilling about that. There's something exhilarating. There's something terrifying about that, Lord. We, we never really know where the road takes us. So, Lord, help us simply to choose on the front end to walk this life with you. We, we don't necessarily have to know where the world's leading us, Lord, if, if we know the God who formed the world and if we choose to walk with him. Lord, we just want to walk with you. Lord, I pray over all of the young people, the students in our church, Lord, that are moving up into new things. Lord, I pray that you will make them to be strong. I pray that they will learn to find their strength in you. I pray that they will be among those rare kinds of people that work hard in this world, Lord, and work hard for the right things. I pray that when they stand before you one day, Lord, they'll never need to be ashamed because they will have lived life to the fullest and to the deepest and to the highest. Lord, I pray that, Lord, they will choose, Lord, to live a costly life, sacrificing, Lord, everything for the sake of getting everything that comes from you. I pray, Lord Jesus, that they will be willing, Lord, to aim high and not to aim low, Lord. Help them to attempt impossible things knowing that they are strengthened by the God for whom all things are possible. Lord, I pray that you'll help them to live lives of love and faith and hope. 
And I pray, Lord, that no matter what, they will continue to keep coming back to your word, which will be bread for their journey, food for their souls, swords for their battles, Lord, a map for the journey. Pray, Lord Jesus, that you will just bless all these students whom we love as they step forward into the world that you have made. Lord Jesus, prepare them that they will always be the men and women you have created them to be. Now, Lord, for the rest of us who graduated so many thousand years ago, Lord, and we feel like our lives are already well uh, down the road, help us never to think, Lord, that we have graduated past the point where we no longer have to live to please you or no longer have to stop and ask if the work we're doing is, is well worth doing. We never have to stop and examine whether or not the life we live actually is in harmony with the Bible that we pretend to read. Help all of us, Lord, to measure our lives today. Come back to you, Lord, in such a way where you can lead us into the days ahead. We pray these things for the sake of Jesus.